It is, a, again, a tremendous honor uh, to be here and be a part of what God's doing. Just a small piece of what God's doing here at Ambassador <clears throat> Worship Center. So I appreciate the opportunity. I never, never take it for granted. I, I probably mentioned this when I was here before, but I pastored for 22 years. And uh, I've been traveling. It's hard for me to believe. I'm, tra I'm, I'm traveling for like now almost going on 13 years. Thank you. <clears throat> and um, it's just, I'm like, where did the years go? I mean, I was just 18 years old. <laughs> I mean, I'm only 40 now, but, you know, no. <laughs> what are you laughing about, man? <laughs> and, um, but, um, yeah, but, but we, you know, we, we've been traveling doing apostolic stuff for like... Uh, so people, I was I had some people at my house the other day because we're in the process of a move, and and the the people that are going to move us because I'm just at the stage where I'm like I can't do this, I can't move. I said, whatever whatever we can, whatever we need to get together to make somebody come help us move, that's let's do that. So the guy's there and he's going through, and and he looks at me and he says, "Are you retired?" And I laughed. I said, "What?" And my wife was sitting there. And she said, "He is more busy now than he's ever been." Because I'm in my 60s. This is my, this is my decade of greatest impact. Um, I, am, I'm, I am serious about that. I think we were talking today. Did you know that your 60s, this is scientific research. Your 60s are your greatest time of impact. Your 50s are your second greatest decade of impact. And your 70s are your third greatest years of impact. That's... That's true. So, hey, I, if you thought it was over, it ain't over. <clears throat> okay? We're, we are, we are uh, just getting started good. We're going we're gonna to change the world. We're going to change the world. Amen. I, I really believe that. That's what we're here to do. Um, uh, and so, um, anyway, let, let me just pray and we'll just get into the Word. So, Father, I just want to thank you tonight. I want to pray that you would anoint this time with your presence. I want to ask that the name of Jesus would be exalted. I want to ask that we as your people would come to some, Lord, maybe maybe, maybe we haven't heard, uh, maybe we have heard principles that I'll share. Maybe we haven't, but you'll breathe upon them, I pray, just to bring life to them. And I give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Bless you. I just want to mention one thing before I probably go into what I want to share. There's a scripture in Luke 7. <clears throat> And it's the story of a centurion soldier who had a servant that was sick. And the elders of the Jews came to Jesus and said, would you please go to his house and heal his servant? Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in this story because, first of all, this is a Greek. And again, like I shared with you this morning, Jesus said he came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He did not come to, to minister or heal anybody that was Jewish at that or, or that was Gentile at that time. And that's why the Syrophoenician woman pushing and getting her healing was so significant. Because, because Jesus wasn't touching the, the Greeks or the Gentiles at that time. He had, gone to the, he, had, he had come to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. And so, so this, this Roman centurion, he has a servant that's sick. And the, the elders of the Jews are asking him to go heal him. It's quite interesting. And, and so it's completely out of the order, again, because his house is a Greek house, a Gentile house. Okay, the other thing that's so, that's so significant is that by, by most Jews, Roman centurions were hated because of how cruel and abusive they were to the Jewish population. 
So the fact that these elders of the Jews had regard for a Roman centurion speaks a lot about who this Roman centurion was. He was very kind and good. But watch this. They said to Jesus, they said, would you go to his house and heal him? They're beseeching him, in and they're beseeching Jesus in behalf of this man. And it says, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And when Jesus hears that, he says, I will go. Why? Because Jesus always responds to those who build him a house. Jesus always responds to him. That builds. Well, what happened? I'm just long and short of it. Jesus goes to this man's house and he releases healing into his house. Let me just give you a principle. If you want healing released into your house on every level, build God a house. Be involved in building God a house. With your offerings, with your tithes, with your efforts, with your involvement, with your presence, be involved in building God a house. Whoever will, here's the principle, whoever will build God a house, God will build him a house. So that, that's, that's, what, that's what God said to David. David, because he had a heart to build God a house, God said, I'll build you an enduring house. I'll build you an enduring, I'll put a blessing on your house that, that, that literally cannot cannot be contained, that, that, will, that will be up on your, 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 your children and your lineage for generations to come. And, and, and by the way, we're going to get into this. That's one of the main things First Fruits does. Okay, it causes a blessing to come and rest on your house. So, okay, I just wanted to point that out. I just felt, felt uh, impressed just to take a few moments. So, okay, let's look in Deuteronomy 26, and I'm going to kind of walk through verses 1 through 11. Because I want to talk to you about first fruits. I love to teach on first fruits. I've been teaching on first fruits for probably 20 years. And, it's, and then I got into the court of heaven, and that's what everybody wanted. It's still what they want to a large extent. But then I discovered that the court of heaven and first fruits all dovetail together. Because, because understanding that our money speaks before his court in our behalf. And again, we'll, we'll touch some of that tonight. Uh, because when you realize that, then all of a sudden you realize how some of this, this operates and works in the spirit dimension. But I love first fruits because it literally changed my wife and, and my life. And our family life. And it changed our church's life. It literally uh, caused breakthrough to come. I saw people come out of poverty uh, and into prosperity. You're looking at one of them. Uh, <laughs> when, we, when we began to learn the principle of first fruits and began to sow and operate in this level, it was just, it's, it was just an amazing thing and still is uh, to me to this day. And I believe that I have first fruits that are speaking in my behalf and in behalf of my family that is causing God to remember us. Because that's what it does. Okay, so Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 through 11. Here's what God says when they come into the land. It says, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and possess it and dwell in it. So in other words, you are at the very least possessing a portion of what God has for you. How I many of you know, I don't care how many problems you have, there is still blessing in your life. You, you may not have everything exactly the way you want it, but, there is the, but we, we have seen God be faithful to his word, and we have at the very least come into a measure of his blessing on our life. Amen? So he says, when you come into the land, begin to possess it. He says, verse 2, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket... And go to the place where the Lord your God is cho chooses to make his name uh, abide. Now watch. Where you put your first fruits is very important. He said you can't just take it anywhere. There's a designated place 
for your first fruits to go. And I'll get to some of that. There's a designated place. If you want the full benefit of first fruits, you've got to put it in the right place. You've got to put it in the place where he chooses his name to abide. Okay, where, 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 and, 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 and that's different from person to person. But the bottom line is it goes to a designated, appointed place. Okay, and it says in verse 3, And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days. So we're starting to get a little bit of idea of where it goes. This is talking about the high priest. And say to him, I declare to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and, we, and, we, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labors and our oppressions. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place he has given us and, and given us this land, a land flowing <clears throat> with milk and honey. So what are they doing? They are rehearsing the goodness of God. Okay, I, I heard a pastor uh, say this morning, they are rehearsing the goodness of God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant in the earth. I want to give you a secret. Remembering the Lord your God is not, a men, is not a mental exercise. To the Jews, remembering the Lord their God meant bringing a first fruit offering. Because that's what they did when they brought the first fruits offering. They would set it down and they would say, and they would rehearse and remind everybody around them, including themselves, how good God had been. Okay, so remembering the Lord your God, whenever they heard that term, remember the Lord your God, that wasn't, oh, I need to keep him in my mind. No, that meant I am going to bring a first fruits offering and I am going to rehearse before everything, everyone, how good God has been to me. So he's, Deuteronomy 8.18 is actually connecting the ability to prosper and the power to get wealth to the first fruits principle. Are you seeing that there? Because they're remembering the Lord their God. They're coming and they're rehearsing how good he is. They're thanking him. Because when you thank God, you are remembering his goodness and his kindness. Verse, um, uh, verse 11. So, uh, no, verse, excuse me, verse 10. And now behold, he says, this is what he said. We, we brought this. We, we remember how good he is. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which the Lord has given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, so you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Okay, so watch what he says. He said, you're going to set it down. You're going to remember him. You're going to rehearse how good he is. And he said, and you're going to worship. Okay, here's, here's at the core of first fruits, at the core of us bringing first fruits, at the core of it, it is an act of worship. That's what first fruits is. First fruits is a declaration of his worth to me. So whatever you bring for first fruits, it ought to be enough that declares what you think about him. It is a declaration of his worth to you. It is a declaration of his worth to you. It is a declaration of his worth to me. In other words, it should be substantial enough that it says, Lord, I can't, 
you know, I have limitations, I have inabilities, all these, but I do have something, and I bring the very first and best portion of what I have, and I worship and I declare to you, this is who I believe you to be, and this is how worthy you are in regards to, to, who, to who I understand you to be. Does that make sense to you? So, so, see, when you put it in that context, all of a sudden, first fruits is a... It is an intense time of declaring the worth of God and worshiping him. See, now watch. This is why Cain got in trouble. Okay, Abel brought of the firstling of his flock. But Cain, it says, in the process of time, and in the Hebrew it literally says at the end of days, he brought of, of an offering as well. Now, I have heard you know, people say, well, okay, the reason Cain's offering wasn't accepted was because that it wasn't a blood sacrifice. That's not true. See, see, Abel was a rancher. He had animals. So his offering had blood sacrifice in it. Cain was a farmer. He didn't have animals necessarily. So watch, God never judges you on what you have or what you don't have. He never does. In, in fact, I could take you to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8, and it says that you are not accepted on what you don't have. You are accepted on what you do have. So God never judges you on what you don't have. So, so, so the whole issue with Cain and Abel was not that Cain didn't bring blood sacrifice. The whole issue was simply this. Abel brought of the firstling of the flock. He took the first and honored God. Cain brought the leftovers. Because it was at the end of the days. It was when every other thing was taken care of. Cain brought the leftovers. And I want to give you a secret about God. God is insulted by our leftovers. He doesn't want them. He doesn't want them. He wants something that declares his worth. See, we declare his worth. So the reason I'm telling you is if we're going to do this, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. You know, let's, 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 let's step into this thing. Let's do this thing with every part of our heart. And let's do it right because that's the only thing that actually brings breakthrough. Okay? So, so, so we bring it and we worship him with it and all these things. Let me, let me just say this about Cain. Because I could really get mean with it. But I won't. Because you're good people. You don't need that. Okay. What? But so, so Cain brings of, of his leftovers. God is upset. God, God challenges him. God says, Cain, if you do evil or if you do good, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do good, sin's lying at the door. And Cain, instead of repenting, gets mad at God trying to bring correction to him. And the fact that he won't accept his offering, he gets upset about it. Okay, we know the story how that Cain then rises and kills Abel. But watch this. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain is born, Eve says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. But one of the last places he is mentioned in 1 John chapter 3, it says, and Cain, who was of the wicked one. How does someone go from gotten of the Lord to being of the wicked one? How do you make that journey from being gotten of the Lord, full of promise and potential, to being of the wicked one? Can I tell you how it happened for Cain? What he did and did not do at offering time. I don't care how you slice it. That's what that was that was the beginning of the downfall. 
It was, it was, and, and I, I, and of course, it's not in this house because you've been, you've been taught better than that. But there are places I go where whenever I start talking about money, I feel the cane spirit rise up. The cane spirit rises up, and here's what it does. It says, don't you dare talk to me about money. Who do you think you are talking about money? That's the cane spirit. Because when Cain was confronted by God, he got mad. He got mad. And watch, that spirit will cause you to lose the potential and the destiny that God has for somebody if that's within us or that's our attitude. So I say, Lord, take any Cain spirit out of me. I don't want any of that in me. I want to be a man like Abel that, that, that brought the firstling of the flock to honor you with the first and the best portion so that your name gets glorified in the situation. I want my offering to, to be a dis display of who you are in my life because that's what it's supposed to be okay so having said all that and i know you guys understand the first fruits principle um, and, and have an awareness of it but i want to just tonight in regards to this i want to give you five things that your first fruits does and we could talk about a lot of it because it's not limited to these five but just for the sake of the teaching i want to give you five things why because when we bring our offering, there has to be faith attached to it. In other words, I'm, I'm not just coming out of rote and routine and giving, giving an offering or giving money. I'm actually, this offering is an expression of my faith. It's an expression of my life. It's an expression of my worship. And whenever that is there, it can release these five things into our life. Number one. Number one. When you bring your first fruits offering, you are consecrating to God what you love. You are consecrating to God what you love. In, in uh, Romans eleven sixteen, the principle of first fruits is, 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 is uh, described there. It says, for if the first fruits is holy, the first fruits portion is holy, the lump it came from, the hole it came from is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So here's the principle. Here's the principle. God says, um, how can I? Let's just say, okay, I'm going to just do this. Let's just say this water glass and my, my phone is my whole. That's my, that's my finances. That's my family. That's my ministry. That's my business. This is my whole. Okay, let's say that, that out of a heart to serve God, I take the first fruit portion because this iPhone's worth more than that glass of water. Unless you're really thirsty. Okay, so I'm going to take my first fruit portion, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to give this first fruits portion to the Lord. Okay, I have just taken the first fruits part. Okay, God says, now because you have brought this first fruits portion, not only is this first fruits portion, not only do I receive it, and not only is it mine, and, do, and, do I, uh, and is it consecrated to me, but because it's the first and the best part, what it came from is also consecrated. See, because you took the very best part and you brought it, now the whole, the, the family, the business, the ministry, the, the children, the, the marriage, everything is consecrated to me. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. What does it mean to be consecrated to God? Anything that's consecrated to God means that God claims it for himself and that he owns it because he does because you gave it to him through first fruits. See, we say, oh, God, I just give you everything. Well, that's fine. But listen, the way you give things to God is through a first fruits offering. You take the very first and best portion of something and you give it to God. 
And when you give it to God, now the portion it came from becomes his as well. So he says, I will, I will multiply it. I will increase it. I will defend it. I will fight for it because you gave it to me by the act of first fruits. Therefore, it's mine. See, that's what you're doing. You're consecrating the whole to God. Um, um, let me explain to you this way. I understood the principle. I wrote, I wrote the book called The Cause Blessing, which was one of at least the, the first books on first fruits that I'm aware of. And so I, I wrote that book called Cause Blessing, and, and I knew it is a self-published book, you know, didn't really have any access to publishers in those days and all this kind of thing. But I knew, it, and it was my first book, the first book I actually wrote. And so I thought, I need to sow a first fruits offering in behalf of this book. And so let me give you a secret. Anytime you began a new endeavor, you should sow a first fruits offering in behalf of that endeavor. If you're going to start a new business, new ministry, whatever, give it to God through an act of first fruits. Because when you give him the best, you're consecrating the whole. You're consecrating the future and the destiny of that thing. So I understood that. I thought, here's my new book, The Cause Blessing. Okay, it's on first fruits, so it'd probably be a good thing to give a first fruits offering in behalf of this book, so that it'll be a blessing, it'll be it'll be successful, it'll have impact, whatever. So I'm praying, I'm really praying, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to give two thousand dollars to as a first fruits offering in behalf of this book. That's what I'm thinking for whatever reason. That's that was the that's what I had in my mind, and um, and so I'm praying. I was living in Colorado Springs at that time. And I'm praying, I think it was like a Sunday morning, and I'm praying, I'm saying, God, you know, is there, is there something you would have me to give in regards to first fruits to consecrate this book and its effect to you? And as I'm praying, all of a sudden, the Lord shocks me because he says to me, if you will give me that book as Hannah gave Samuel to me, I will consecrate, watch this, I will bless every other book that comes out of your womb. So all of a sudden, I realized God didn't want me to give money and be happy. He wanted me to give all the profits from that book to him. Now, you got to understand, that kind of that studied, I mean, staggered me just a little bit. But, but I knew it was God. So my deal is, I, if I know it's God, I'm going to do it. So I said, sure, Lord. I said, that's what I'll do. I will, give, I will take none of the profits. We'll print it. We'll sell it. But any profits that come in, we will, we will sow that into the kingdom under your direction and your leadership. We will, we will do this. And that's what we've done now for 12 plus years, I guess. I don't really, really know. But, but, but here's the point. Guess what happened? I am a best-selling author. Many times over. Many times over. In fact, now it doesn't matter what book I write. Within a week, it is the, the number one bestseller, new release. It doesn't matter because my name is known in the publishing world, at least within the Christian circles, and all the courts of heaven books. And now I've got publishers warring for me. I got Destiny Image that says, hey, we'll give you this much money to write a book. I got Chosen saying, oh, but we'll give you this much money to write a book. And I'm like, well, is there anybody else that wants to jump into the ring? <laughs> but see, here, here's the issue. The issue. And, and so I, I'm writing, I'm just now getting the book on grace out with, with Chosen. I'm do, going through the editing process. I'm in the editing process, and the lady calls me, and she says, you know, I know we're just in the process, but would you consider writing another book for us? And I mean, God is blessing every other book that comes out of my womb. I can trace that back 
to giving the cause blessing to God as a first fruits offering. That it consecrated every other book coming out of my spiritual womb. Does that make sense to you? See, why? Because I took the best portion, gave it to the Lord, and God says, okay, that gives me the legal right to defend and to bless the whole and to prosper it and to cause your barns to be filled with plenty and your vats to overflow with new wine. Amen? So it consecrates what we love to God. Now, Ezekiel 44.30 says, and the best of all the first fruits of any kind, and every sacrifice of any kind from all your sacrifice shall be the priest. I want you to notice, notice that's where it goes, to the priest. We'll get to that in a moment. Also, you shall give to the priest the first of your ground, ground meal. So in other words, give, he said, give, give the first of everything. And it says, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. Okay, this is a powerful scripture. Here's what he said. When I take the, the, the first portion... The very first and best portion, not all of it, but the very first and best portion from the whole, and I give it to God, it causes a blessing to rest. Number one, it causes. In other words, this is a blessing you cannot pray into being. You cannot hope into being. You cannot fast into being. This blessing is caused by one thing, operation and first fruits. There is a realm of blessing you cannot get into. You will never touch if you don't function in first fruits. See, I tell people, we all live under the default blessings of God. See, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus said he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. He said he lets his sun shine on, on the wicked and on the good. In other words, we are blessed just living in God's creation. We're more blessed than we could possibly imagine. But that's default blessings. You just get those blessings because you're alive on his planet. And he's a good God. But God said, if you want something past that, you're going to have to cause it. You cause it. I cause it by stepping into the principle. It will not happen except I cause it. It's a caused blessing. He said, when you bring the first and the best, you are, you are, you are causing something to move in the spirit world that will let a blessing come on you that will not come on you for any other reason. I don't care if you spend 40 days fasting and prayer. It ain't coming. This is caused by one thing, first fruits. First fruits. Now watch. He said, he said, it will cause a blessing to rest. Watch what happens. It's a blessing that comes to remain. See, we have a problem in the body of Christ. We get temporary relief. And so as a result of only getting temporary relief, there's a lot of hope deferred in the body of Christ. Because, because, well, I had relief, but then the problem came back even worse. Or maybe I didn't get any relief at all. But listen, it says the cause blessing, it'll do something. It will cause a blessing to come and rest or stay on your life. It just comes to overshadow you. It doesn't leave. See, I've, and, the, and the Lord said to me one day, he said, the cause blessing that comes to rest as a, as a result of first fruits, it is so weighty that it will rest on you and it will, it will erode every generational bless, or, or every generational curse against you that's trying to fashion and form who you and your family are. So this, this blessing comes to rest. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not temporary. It's permanent. 
He comes to stay when you function in first fruit. And then it says, it will cause a blessing to rest on your house. Okay, when the Bible talks about your house, it's talking about your lineage. It's not necessarily talking about the structure you live in, even though that's a part of it. It's talking about your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. It's talking about a blessing that comes on your lineage, on your heritage, because you functioned in first fruits. It will cause a blessing. I tell people, my children are living in blessings they do not deserve. They didn't work for them. They did not work for them. My kids are being blessed left and right. They got, I mean, they're making money that I never even dreamed possible that they can, that somebody could make. They're the blessing of the favor of God, the breakthroughs of God. And I thought, I had to work two more decades before I got what they've got now. And I'm not real sure I'm happy about that. It's like, how is that happening? Because, watch, there is a cause blessing resting on our house that is working in our behalf. And even when my kids were not necessarily doing everything that was right, I knew that there was a first fruit speaking in my behalf before the court of heaven concerning them and that God's will would be done in their life because he promised me a cause blessing on my house. So the best thing you can do for your family and your generational lines is operate in first fruits. It causes a blessing to come and rest, to stay, and it will, it will permeate every part of your generational line for decades and even centuries to come. I promise. See, all you got to do is look at David. David honored God with the first and the best, and the Bible says that there were kings that sit on the throne that God should have destroyed, but he wouldn't do it for David's sake. Because David had a covenant with God on various levels, but one of them was because of his giving. He had a covenant with God that literally caused God to honor his descendants after him and be merciful to them when they otherwise would have been destroyed because of that which was speaking in their behalf as a result of what their father David had done. So one of the best things you can, by the way, it's never too late. You say, well, man, my children are grown. Well, well, that's fine. This is, this is not, this doesn't have, this, is, this doesn't have a statute of limitations on it. If I will step up and begin to honor God, he will cause a blessing to come on my house. He will cause that which I love to be consecrated to him. And he will begin to treat it like it belongs to him because it does, because I gave it to him through first fruits. Okay, number two. First fruits aligns apostolically. It's very clear that first fruits went to the high priest. I mean, we, we, we've seen it in, in, in Deuteronomy. We see it again um, in Exodus 44.30, that the first fruits belong to the high priest. Well, Hebrews 3.1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Notice that in this verse, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as apostle and high priest. One is an Old Testament term, the other is a New Testament term. But it is linking the two, to, the two together. So in other words, every time you read about the high priest in the Old Testament, you're actually reading about the apostle in the New. And, and, and one of the reasons you see this is because the Levites took care of the dwelling place 
underneath the oversight of the high priest. Okay, and, and his sons and all these sorts of things. So the bottom line is every time you read about the, the, the high priest in the old, you're reading about the apostle in the new. So, so it, for, for us, transitioning in, as New Testament believers, when I bring my first fruits, when I bring the first and best portion of my first fruits, I am bringing it to align with the apostolic. Now, why is that important? Let me just explain this to you. Your tithe, your tithe aligns you with the pastoral or that which is local church. See, see, the people in Numbers 18, it's spelled out very clearly, Numbers 18, they would bring their tithe to the Levites, and the Levites were those who were responsible for taking care of the dwelling of God. Well, guess what? Guess what the dwelling of God is? It's us as the many-membered body of Christ. So pastors and people that are, that, that are afforded a living for their function in the church... Watch, they, they take care of the dwelling of God. They, they, they love the people, they care for the people, they counsel the people, all these kind of things. That's what the tithe, it empowers that to take place along with other issues of you know, taking care of places so we can do things and meetings and all that kind of stuff. But our tithe, it belonged to the Levites. It's a picture. But the Levites then tithe to the high priest, which was the apostolic. See, and so, but the first fruits of the people went directly to the apostolic or the high priest. See, what's happening here? Our tithe brings us into an alignment with the anointing that's upon the local house, but our first fruits connects us to the apostolic. You say, why is that important? Because the pastoral is about seeing after your soul and maintenance, maintaining. The apostolic is about breakthrough. Now, I know this is relative to this house. When I was leading the church in Waco, I was considered the senior pastor because that was culturally acceptable. But by real definition, I was the, I was the apostle of the house. That's just who I was. So when the people would come... They would bring their tithe. I would make sure the staff was taken care of, all these kind of things. The lights were kept on. The ministries were functioning. But then when it came first fruits time, we took that, 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 that first fruits offering, and it went into, for us, it went into an apostolic fund that apostolic ministry was done from. Because it connected, the first fruits connected to the apostle. And so you say, well, well, what does that mean? That means the apostle has the right to determine where it's used. I didn't get it all. My, actually, my, my salary came out of that offering. But that, was, that, that wasn't all. I mean, there, were, there was all sorts of different things. But, but it came under the jurisdiction of the apostolic. So, so underneath the jurisdiction of the apostolic, I was able to help determine where that finances was used. Okay, Because it, it, was, it was a offering that honored the apostolic because they brought the high priest the, the first fruits offering while the tithe went to the Levites. Is that making sense? And by the way, different, in New Testament order, different ministries have a, a, a license and a responsibility to God, before God, to administer it however how God leads them to do. But, here, but for us as believers, what this means is when I bring my first fruits, I'm connecting to apostolic authority. I am joining myself to apostolic authority. Let me, let me explain it this way. See, you've got to understand that your money 
creates alignment. And I'm not here to teach on alignment tonight. But your money creates alignment. When Abraham came to Melchizedek, he by revelation knew who Melchizedek was. He understood he, this, this is the high priest of the Most High God. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He doesn't have mother nor father. I mean, he, I, mean I mean, I understand him to be, he was Jesus Christ uh, in a pre-incarnate revelation. Okay, because, because Jesus is now a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But Abraham sees this, this, this flesh and blood high priest, and he by revelation knows who he is. So what does he do? He takes his tithe, if you will, and he honors Melchizedek. And whenever he honors Melchizedek with the tithe, then Melchizedek lays his hands on him and blesses the one who has the promises because his money made a connection with the high priest. You got to get that. See, how, do you, what, what, how, how does, what happens when we bring our money? Well, number one, I by revelation know who someone is. I then choose to honor that one, and I depict it through finances. See, you got to get this. If we don't get this, see, we, 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 don't, we don't get the full benefit of what we're doing when we're tithing and when we're bringing first fruits. See, when you tithe, you are making a connection in the spirit world with an anointing that's on the house. Because I've watched this for years. I have watched people sit in church every time the doors were open, but they weren't tithers. They therefore did not have any drawing rights because there was no connection in the spirit world. So it didn't matter how many services they set in, they never got any better. But though they were tithers, they have drawing rights because their tithe has made a connection in the spirit world that lets them draw from the anointing of the house. But when you bring your first fruits, you are also making a connection now with the apostle. You are connecting to that apostolic authority, and now you're able to have drawing rights that's going to bring breakthrough into your life and into your family. So let me explain to you this way. Mary and I moved to Colorado Springs after we quit pastoring. At the, we felt that the mandate of God still felt like it was. When we got there, didn't move there for this reason, but when we got there, God created a connection with Dr. C. Peter Wagner and Dutch Sheets because they both live in Colorado Springs. Well, I became aligned with both of them, and I did it through First Fruits because I understand the principle. I actually taught them the principle. And so, so I remember we we're going to, and our oldest son, Ryan, he was a mess. From the time he was 16 years old and on, he had gotten involved in drugs with the wrong people. Didn't matter what we did, how we prayed, there was never a breakthrough. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. He's now late 20s, at the very least, maybe even 30, I can't remember, but he, he, he's, he was, it was just a mess. And so I told Mary, I said, we need to make a connection. So I called Dutch. I said, hey, Dutch, Mary and I would like to meet with you and Cece. That's his wife. He said, okay. And, and I said, could we meet at the California Pizza Kitchen? So we made it a date. And we met at the California Pizza Kitchen. So when we go into the, the restaurant there, sitting in a little booth, I said, hey, we, we just want to come. We just want to say how much we appreciate you guys and, uh, and, and being connected. But I want to honor you with first fruits. So I, sh I slid the envelope over to him. And Dutch said, well, you know, thank you so much, Robert. We, we, we just honor you. We love you. And Mary, thank you for, you know, just, just your heart toward us. And I said, open the envelope. He said, now? You see, you see there's certain protocols. You don't open, open up check to check, you know. 
Doug said, now? And I said, yeah, I want you to see how serious I am. Because I want you, on the basis of this alignment I'm creating with this first fruits offering, I want you to apostolically make some decrees into and concerning our oldest son's life. So he opened it. And he said, and it was $10,000. He said, wow. He said, thank you so much. And I said, I said, well, you're welcome. But I said, I'm not here for politeness. I want you and Cece to now pray and make some declaration because we have created a connection between you and your apostolic authority. I need for you to take that authority and make some declarations over our son Ryan that has been in a mess since he's 16 years old and we are so tired of it. And so right there in California Pizza Kitchen, we began to pray. We didn't get loud, but we, we weren't bashful either. And so Dutch begins to pray, and he starts making the decrees. All of a sudden, the prophetic kicks in, and I remember CC starts prophesying. Then they start praying things that, about things that they had no way of knowing, and, and they're moving in the spirit, and all these kind of things, and, and we can feel something moving and shifting. When it was over, I said, thank you very much. I'm here to tell you, within a week, maybe, maybe two, I can't remember for sure, but Ryan suddenly decided he wanted out of the life he was in. He moved to Kansas, started going to school, met his wife. He's now married to have a sweet little girl, and he makes more money than I can possibly imagine because the blessing of God came on him, and an apostolic decree had a right to operate in his behalf because of the connection created through first fruits. When you bring your finances, you are, you are connecting to the apostolic authority. You say, well, that's, I've never gotten anything from apostolic authority. Well, you didn't make a connection. You see, you, we do bring it to honor God. But in the process, watch this. Here's, alignment is twofold. Alignment is, is I am in right alignment with him and with those who represent him into my life. You need to know who those are. See, who are those who represent him into your life? Yes, we have a direct relationship with him, but then we also have a relationship with those who represent him into our life. And that is the apostolic realm that God has connected us to. And guys, for you, it's real easy. I teach this someplace, and some people say, well, I don't really have an apostle. And, and that is a story. But you ain't got that problem here. You haven't got that problem. This is, really, this is a no-brainer. This is really easy. And I, and, and, and I can see, you know, you know uh, Apostle Martin, I can see, because, I mean, when I would teach this, I can say, oh, God, I hope there's something on my life that's going to actually do this. And, but it always does because God honors the principle. He honors the principle. So it brings you into apostolic alignment. It consecrates what you love, but it brings you into an apostolic alignment that gives you a connection that grants you drawing rights. Number three, when you bring first fruits, it destroys barrenness. I love this. We all know, would probably be aware of the story of Hannah, who can't have a child. She's cried out to God for years. She's in absolute bitterness of soul, frustrated. It's feast time. They go to Shiloh, and she's in the temple praying. And she's in bitterness of soul. And the Bible says her mouth is moving, but no sound's coming out. 
And in the process of all that, all of a sudden, God brings her finally to the place he's been seeking to get her to in the midst of her barrenness where she is willing to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life. And she's praying and she's seeking God. What has she just done? She has just added first fruits to her prayers. Because Samuel is going to be her first fruits offering. She's barren. She can't have a son. She said, if you'll give him to me. And watch this. Sometimes, I will promise you, sometimes God will tell you to promise things you don't yet have. Because he's going to bring it into your hand. He will tell you to do that. I mean, I mean, that's happened with me several times. But if he does that, let me tell you what he's doing. He's setting you up. Because he intends to bless you on that level. For with the measurement you use, it will be measured back to you. That is a principle of the kingdom. And it's seen throughout the word of God. Whatever measurement you use in measuring out first fruits, that's what's going to be measured back to you. See, that's what he says in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. But watch, that's not the only place. When the, when the, when, when the widow, um, when she had debt she couldn't pay, and they're going to take her two sons away. Well, you know the whole story. The prophet said, go bar borrow vessels, not a few. And we know that the oil ran until there was no more vessel. See, what determined how long the oil ran? Not God, but the widow's faith. It wasn't God that determined how long the oil ran. The oil ran as long as there was another vessel for it to run into. See, you're going to determine what level of blessing you get in first fruits this year. And so if God says for you to do something that seems unreasonable or out of the ordinary, or as I said this morning, makes your flesh cringe, it's only, if he really said to you, it's only because he's setting you up to bring a, an un unprecedented blessing into your life because i promise you the lord said this to me one time he, he actually that scripture he said for the with the measurement you use it'll be measured back to you and, he, and god said the, the problem with my people is they keep measuring out the same measurement expecting something different to happen he said and so they never get into the next levels of faith that allow me to bring breakthrough because god doesn't determine the level of breakthrough you do I do, based on the realm of faith I step into. And again, if you take it through Scripture, remember the, the king, or yeah, that, that the, the prophet said, take the arrows and smite the ground. And he smote it three times and stopped. And the prophet got mad. He said, you should have smote it five or six times, because if you had of, God would have literally annihilated Syria, and he, they would have never been your enemy anymore. But now you only have a partial breakthrough, and they're going to come back and, and re-empower themselves against you. Because watch, what he did, what he measured out in that prophetic moment determined the destiny of a nation. Prophetic moments. See, first fruits is a prophetic moment. What you measure out in that moment has the power to determine your future and your destiny and the future and the destiny of your lineage. That's how critical that's, that moment is. So Hannah says, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you all the days of his life. And, and Eli is watching this, and he thinks she's drunk. And he says, how long would you be drunk in the presence of the Lord? 
And Hannah says, please don't consider me an evil woman. He said, but I have poured my complaint out. And suddenly Eli realizes his error. And he says, may the Lord grant you your request. Now watch. On the basis of what she has just promised as her first fruits, the apostolic Eli made a decree. And when the apostolic decree mixed with the first fruits promise, the spirit of barrenness came off of Hannah. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me show you this. So she, she's been, she won't eat. She's, she's in misery. And in 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, it says, Then Eli answered her and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Watch this. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. See, at the, watch. At the very moment... The apostolic decree was made based on her first fruits. A spirit of barrenness came off of her, and that depressive, grieving thing that had been on her for years suddenly was released, and she was sad no more and got up and ate. Now, she still doesn't have a child, but she goes home with Elkanah, her husband, and it says, in the process of time, she conceived. She brought forth Samuel. We know she eventually had three sons and two daughters. But watch. She, see, what, what happened? When the spirit of barrenness came off of Hannah, when she promised her, her first fruits, and the, and the high priest, the apostolic, made the decree on the basis, when that happened, that spirit of barrenness, now the intimacy she had with her husband was free to produce what it was always intended to produce. You see, here's our problem. Most of us have intimacy with God, but it's not producing fruitfulness because there's a spirit of barrenness hanging on us. But if we can get that spirit of barrenness off of us, the intimacy we have with God will begin to produce that which it was always intended to produce. And there will be a fruitfulness that will begin to come because, because the, the spirit of barrenness has been lifted off and all of a sudden I am free to expand to the left hand and to the right. And to see increase come. See, God wants to bring the spirit of barrenness off of you. Because it, there's a frustration that's always attached to that. And God wants to break it. And so that your labors are now free to produce that which they could not produce before. Because of a spirit of barrenness clinging to you. He wants to lift it so you are sad no more. No longer is frustration there. Watch. And you rise and you can begin to eat of the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. And begin to expand in, in his purposes and in his will. Amen? Number, number four, just two more real quickly. First fruits ends old cycles and starts new ones. See, many people feel caught in old cycles. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. You say, well, what does that have to do with first fruits? The word beginning is the, is the Hebrew word reshit, and it means first fruits. That's that word, reshit, is first fruits. So he said, he didn't just say in the beginning, he said in the first fruits. So what happened at creation? The earth was void and without, and without form. It was in an old cycle. But in first fruits, the old cycle was stopped. And a new cycle was created. And the earth began to bloom and blossom and increase and become, and become fruitful. Why? Because an old cycle stopped 
and a new cycle begins. See, I meet so many people. They are caught in an old cycle. They can't get out of it. It seems like it doesn't matter what they do. This old cycle, they just keep being trapped in it. And it goes around and around and around. Same arguments, same struggles, same problems, same this, same that. Watch, God wants to break you out of the old cycle and create brand new ones. Bring you into new realms of blessings. How did that happen? When you sow your first fruits, old cycles end and new cycles begin. New cycles begin. And you're able to begin to step into a place that perhaps you've never lived in before. Because you're, you're beginning to move in that whole issue, that whole realm of the blessing that comes from first fruits. Okay, the last one, number five. And I've alluded to this. But first fruits, the fifth thing it does, it testifies to the courts of heaven in your behalf. See, now to get that, you've got to realize and understand that your money has a voice in heaven. And I just want you to hear this. Your, I'm going to show you this. Your money is talking whether you want it to or not. You can't shut it up. And I'm going to tell you, your money is either speaking for you or against you. My money is either speaking for me or against me. What determines what it's saying is my attitude about it and the way I use it. So let, let me show you this real quickly. Hebrews 7 and 8. It says, here mortal men receive tithes. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. Because the whole purpose of the Hebrews here is that the, we're now under the Melchizedek order. And by the way, I know that this probably isn't an issue here. But just for the record, all these people that are running around in these days saying that Jesus died to deliver us from tithing. You see? No, there's a grace message out there. You don't have to tithe. You know, you don't have to tithe anymore, guys. Well, God, because we're not under the Levitical priesthood. Well, guess what? They are right. We're not under the Levitical priesthood. But we are under the Melchizedek order. So watch. Abraham, as an Old Testament man, with New Testament revelation. That's what made him so powerful. He lived outside of his time by the revelation he had. And Abraham is an Old Testament man living with New Testament revelation. When he meets Melchizedek, he is compelled to honor him with a tithe. Why? Because we do tithe to the Melchizedek order that we are connected to. So anybody that comes along and tells you, you, that you, as New Testament believers, you are not responsible to tithe anymore, they are full of naivety and simplicity and most likely rebellion and trying to figure out a way not to have to, uh, not to, have to obey the word of God. Because I'm here to tell you that we are under the Melchizedek order, and Abraham, as an Old Testament man with New Testament revelation, felt compelled to bring a tithe to Melchizedek. And our high priest is after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so, so this is the whole, what's being said here. Here, mortal men receive tithes. In other words, in those days, they bring tithes to the Levitical priesthood because that was still operating. But he said, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. The word witness there means to give judicial testimony. So that means your tithe, your money, has a testimony attached to it that is speaking in the heavenly realm. That is speaking where Melchizedek, our high priest, is. Now, I was in Germany, and I was just reading this scripture. 
And I felt this thing come on me, and I began to say to these Germans, what brain-dead, idiotic, stupid, ignoramus would take one-tenth of their money and give it to a church or a ministry? And these Germans were like, what is this crude American about to say? They're just sitting there looking at me. And I said, only those who believe he lives. Because watch, it tells us what happens. It says, when you bring your tithe, it is releasing a testimony in heaven that this one believes I'm alive. That this one believes he lives. Watch, and you've got to get this. Your tithe creates a connection in the spirit world that gives you drawing rights from his high priesthood as our, as our Melchizedek. That's what our tithe does. It is saying before him, we believe you live. You live. And my tithe is releasing that testimony. Are you getting that? So your money, your money, just let's broaden it. Your money is speaking. Your tithe is speaking. Your first fruits are speaking. Your offerings are speaking. All this is speaking before God in your behalf. So I'm going to take you on just a little journey here for just a few moments. Look with me in... um, let me find my scripture here. Uh, in um, James chapter 5. Because I want you to see that our offering can speak for us or it, our money can speak against us. James 5. It says, in ver- let me just do this. James 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your ri- riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. So watch, he's... he's He's speaking judgment against rich people, not because it's wrong to be rich, but because it's wrong to be rich and oppressed with it. And watch. He says, verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness, same word, judicial testimony, against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, what? That you kept back by fraud, cry out. Notice, not people, wages. Money is crying out because it's in the wrong place. Because it belongs to somebody else, but somebody else has it and won't let it go. And because somebody else has it and won't let it go, that money is crying out before God. Watch what he says here. And the cries of the reapers have reached the Lord of, uh, of the ears, uh, have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in the days of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. So forth and so on. Here's the point. God said, because of what the money is saying that you are holding back, it is going to cause a judgment to come on you. Because your money is speaking for you or against you. If I am releasing it and honoring God with it and handling it appropriately, my money is speaking for me and causing heaven to remember me. If I am holding it back, the Bible says that money held back speaks to me. Watch, that's why Ananias and Sapphira got judged. They promised and devoted something to God and then held it back. Peter simply released judgment on them based on what the money was saying that they were holding back. That's all that happened there because there was something speaking because of what they were holding back. Now watch, it was in their own power. 
The problem was they had promised it. But then they didn't give it. If they hadn't promised it, it wouldn't be an issue. When they promised it and didn't give it, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And that money that they were holding back was now speaking before God. And on the basis of that, Peter released judgment that caused them to fall down dead. Because of what their money was saying. So our money has a voice. It's talking whether we want it to or not. Whether we want it to or not. So I want my money to talk for me, not against me. Okay, I want it to be, have, a, have a message for me. Okay, let me just do this while we're here. Look with me in Ma- Matthew, because we're going to finish with this, uh, this whole principle. Matthew chapter 5, and I may have shared this before, but it, it bears repeating because as it relates to first fruits. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. There's something wrong with you and somebody else. In other words, if you will, there's a problem in our heart. Because if somebody has something against me or me against, there's a problem with my heart. It says, Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Let me pause right there. Jesus said, okay, you're, you're, let's just say I'm coming and I'm bringing my first fruits to the Lord. And all of a sudden I realize, wait, I got, I got something in my heart against somebody or somebody's got something in their heart. The Bible says, Jesus said, don't give it. Why? Because, because. The state of your heart at the moment you bring your offering is the testimony that's attached to that money. It is that which is speaking in heaven either for you or against you. So Jesus said, if there's a problem in your heart, don't give it. He said, leave it there. And watch, he says, leave it. In other words, you're not using this as a reason not to give. You're using this as a reason to go get things right and then come and give. He said, your intention is to give it. You don't take it with you. You leave it there because you're going to come and give it. So he said, he said, go get it right. Go get it fixed. Why? Because, again, you're going to see it's because of the testimony. Because the next verses tell us this. Verse, um, verse 25. Agree with your adversary. That is the Greek word antidikos. It means one who brings a lawsuit against you. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer. You be thrown into prison. But surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you pay the last penny. So watch what he says. He says, make sure that you give an offering that has the right testimony attached to it. Because if you don't, when this offering goes up in the spirit world, your adversary is going to grab it and use it to build a case against you. Now, everybody wonders why Job went through what he went through. Job chapter 1 and verse 6, I think it is. The Bible says that there was a time when Job's children had a party. And Job wanted to make sure that they had not sinned and cursed God in their hearts during their party. So he would come behind them and he would bring an offering. And it sounds so very noble and so very right. But when you read it clearly, watch, Job's offering was being brought out of manipulation and fear. Because Job said, the very thing I feared came up on me. You know, it seems so noble for him to bring offerings. But what he was trying to do, he was trying to appease God and, and ask God to please not judge his children because of the fear that was in his heart that was causing him to try to manipulate God. So what happens? When the, when the devil comes... And God says, have you considered my servant Job? 
The devil says, Job's not serving you with a pure heart. He's only serving you because you put a hedge about him. Which, by the way, the word hedge means a restraint, or if you will, a restraining order. You have a restraining order against me that won't let me touch him. Lift a restraining order, let me, let me touch him. I'll prove to you he's not serving you with a pure heart. Now watch. The only way the devil can bring an accusation is because he has evidence to back that accusation up. You don't go into a court with an accusation without evidence. You'll get thrown out. So when, when Satan is saying, Job's not serving you with a pure heart, he had evidence. What was the evidence? The sound of his offering that was full of manipulation and fear. He said he's not serving you because he loves you. He just doesn't want to lose the blessing of God that's on his life. Let, 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 me, let, me, let the restraining order be lifted. Let me touch him. I'll prove to you he's not serving you with a pure heart. And based on that case, God lifted the restraining order. All because of an improper sound and testimony that Job's offering was releasing. The adversary grabbed it, built a case against Job that caused him to be thrown into unbelievable tribulation. What does that mean? That means I need to make sure my offering has the right testimony attached to it. That my money is speaking for me and not against me. So when we bring our first fruits... Or any other offering. We have to make sure, okay, God, let my heart. I am bringing this. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to, 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 out of fear, to cause you to do something. Lord, I am coming before you, and I am bringing this offering in worship, in adoration, in faith, out of a hilarious heart. I am bringing this. This is one of the greatest honors and blessings and privileges of my life. And as I bring this offering, Lord, I am asking that it would speak before you in your courts and give you the right to remember me and begin to move in my behalf. Amen? See, because your offering has a testimony attached. Your first fruits, it's going to have, an offer, it's going to have a, a testimony attached. So I pray this every day I pray. I pray. I say, Lord, I'm asking that, that my offerings would speak before you. Now, now, you say, well, what's connected to my offering? What's, why would God remember me based on my offering? Well, we're bringing the first, the best water. Watch this. Let me just touch this and we'll close. Literally, God will remember you and your offering will speak for you based on the trumpet sound you have released over it. Let me, let me just show you. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. I think I maybe mentioned this this morning, but let me just show it to you so you'll really get it. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 10. Thank you, Lord. God has commanded in Numbers 1 through 10, Numbers, uh, Numbers 10, 1 through 10, he has commanded Moses to build two several trumpets. It's really interesting. He says they have to be of one piece, and they have to be beat. Now, I believe these two silver trumpets represent the apostolic and the prophetic because the Bible says in Ephesians 2.20 that the church's foundation is the apostles and prophets. And I believe that, that, that it, there should be an apostolic and a prophetic declaration 
that is released from these trumpets. Because with these trumpets, they gave direction to the camp. They blew them in the time of warfare when they were going against them. They blew, they blew them together, the congregation together. They blew them for different ways. If one was blown, it meant one thing. If another was blown, it both. If both were blown, it meant different things. But the, this, this sound was going forth from these two silver trumpets. And they were beat into proper order so they would give a pure sound. So how does, watch, how does God form his voices? By beating them. I promise you, if you've got a real voice, you've been beat. You've been beat. What I don't, I don't mean in some mean or abusive way. I mean you have walked through places that were difficult and that were hard, that in the process of it, God has purified your heart. And he has cleansed you and he has washed you because, because he will actually fashion and form us for the call of God on our life through that process. So that, that's, that's the way this happened with these trumpets. But watch, I want you to see verse 10. It says, it says um, and also, okay, let me just read verse 9. And when you go to war in your land against your enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. And you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Verse 10. And also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feast, and in the beginning of your months, that's first fruits. Your appointed feast in the beginning of months. You shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offering, but the sound of the two trumpets over the offering. The apostolic and the prophetic sound coming over the offering that literally attached to it the cry of our heart and the desire of our heart. See, this, this is what is speaking in the courts of heaven in your behalf. It's your money, but it's your faith connected to your money and the prayers you are praying over your money from an apostolic and a prophetic perspective. It why do I know it attaches a sound or a testimony? Because it says on the basis of the sound made over the offering or that's put into the offering, that's established with the offering, watch this, God remembers you. He remembers you. And he begins to move. So it's, listen, it's not enough. To just bring our offering. You're going to need to engage yourself spiritually. And begin to stand before him and say, God, on the basis of the offering I have brought. And you do this continuously, consistently. On the basis of this which I have brought, I am believing you. We, we literally, when we were doing this at the church, we, I would have people write out what they were believing God for on the basis of this offering. And then to declare this over that offering. Declare this over that offering. Declare this over this offering. Let me just tell you a story. We had a very pretty young lady in the church that for whatever reason wasn't married. She's a beautiful woman, a school teacher, going already through college, had a had thing going and all this kind of thing. And she had sown first fruits the year before at least, and her passion was she wanted to be married. And that's, I mean, it's the right passion. She wanted to be married. And, um, and so she thought, well, I don't know that I'm going to do anything because it doesn't seem to happen last year. Nothing seemed to happen. And so, but she thought, no, I, after she heard the teach again, she said, this is real. I know this, this principle is real. And so she said, I'm going to do it. Regardless of whether anything seemed like it happened, I'm going to do it. And so 
she brought her first fruits and she she went down and she stood with I think it was one of our associate pastors and 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 they began to, to pray over her tears are streaming down her cheek the woman starts prophesying God has your husband for you because she's heard all this before and but she's sore for but she's believing so they pray for her as she turns to walk back there's a young man sitting in the pew sitting sitting in in the, in the seat and and he's kind of new to the church but he's kind of come in and gotten into the stuff and all that stuff. And as she's walking by, he's got his head down because he's just saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do something. And as, he's, as she comes walking by, you know, movement catches his eye. And he looks up. And as he looks up, God says, there goes your wife. They are married, and I don't even know how many kids they have now. I mean, I mean, God moved because this woman would not give up on the first fruits principle because she attached her faith and her request to the first fruits. And God heard her. And literally, whenever she walked by, five seconds, five minutes, or two minutes after she'd been praying for her, she walked by. God speaks to the young man, and they're married to this day. Just on and on and on, we have testimonies like that. Because when you attach your faith and you bring your request on the basis of your first fruits, it is an appropriate thing to do. It says God causes a memorial to speak in your behalf. And he remembers you. He remembers you. And he moves in your behalf. Amen? So could you stand up with me? Thank you, Lord. Those are just five things. I mean, gosh, first fruits is... It, it, it's exhaustive. I mean, you could, you could talk about it for, 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 for a long, long time. I remember the first, first year we did. I, 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 I'd heard about the, the teaching, didn't understand it. And this guy came in from, from um, British Columbia, brought him in. He's the only one I knew that understood it at that time. Had him come in and teach it. And I was just, I mean, as he was sharing it, it was like, okay, I think I can see it. It's like, it's like I was seeing through the smoke. And it was like, okay, I think I can see it. And I'll just tell you a couple of stories. That, that year, there was, a, there was a husband and a wife that had gotten married, you know, fairly late in life. Late 30s, early 40s, but they wanted children. But the problem was she couldn't have children because of some, some problems. I mean, and, and so they had done in vitro several times. I mean, very expensive and no results. They heard this teaching, a cause blessing coming on your house. So they come and brought a first fruits offering, and they, they released a request. Lord, we're sowing this, and we're asking to be able to conceive and, and carry a pregnancy to full term and to have, have a baby. And that was their cry before God. And I remember the girl, you didn't know the lady. She's, she's, she was just real blunt and you know, nice and kind, but just real blunt. She came to me, and she said, God's got one year. It's like she had to say, she said, he's got one year. Well, at the nine-month mark of the year, she was pregnant. They now have three daughters that are grown daughters now. Because it didn't just stop with that one. I mean, there was, there was and so we, we, saw all of, we saw all of that stuff happen. We just, we saw, so the first year also that this guy came and taught it, I'm, Mary and I are sitting in the front row, and we're listening to this. And I mean, we're, we're, we got six kids. We, we, we just struggled to put food on the table. I mean, we're, 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 like I said, this thing brought me out of poverty myself. It wasn't just people. It brought me out. And so, so, so we're sitting there, and we're living in this house, and got all these kids, and, you know, um, you know I, 
Anyway, that's all going on. And so we're sitting there, and, and this guy that's teaching, and he suddenly stops. He turns and looks at me and Mary. And he looks at Mary, and he says, Sweetie, God's going to give you a house. And I thought, Don't tell her that. You don't know what you just did to me. You don't know our situation. And now here you are telling her God's going to give her a house. I mean, we got a house, and we live in it, but it's not a very nice house, but, but whatever. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, don't do this. But I can't do that. I'm the pastor. <laughs> so, so I think, okay. So, so anyway, long story short, we, 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 Mary and I, that time, at that point, we heard the Lord. We just said, Lord, we, we don't even really, we're not real sure about this. We don't even know exactly how it operates. But we're just going to, we, we see the principle, so we just took a step, and we said, we're going to sow $2,000. And that, I mean, we didn't have $2,000, but we just felt like this is what we need to do. So we just said, okay, we're going to do this. Got all these kids, we're going to sow $2,000. But what happened was, um, the, um, we, you know, life goes on, and, and we, we began to move through the year. And we're trying to figure out what to do concerning our house because it's getting really, really hectic and we don't have any money. And so I thought, well, maybe I could go to the bank and maybe I could get a loan. And this old house we're living in, maybe we could put another bathroom in it. and Maybe we could, you know, do this and do this. And so this lady whose husband had died unexpectedly and they had, he had a key man policy on him and they had bought uh, her out with a $3.5 million settlement. I mean, she was a part of the church, but, I mean, it was her money. I mean, whatever. And so, so she comes to the office one day in the middle of all this, and she said, hey, and she loved us so much. She said, Robert, how are you doing? I said, we're good. And she said, hey, I heard you guys are thinking about kind of putting money in that house you're in. I said, yeah, we're, we need to do something just to kind of ease the pressure and the pain. And, and she, said, she said, well, is that house worth that money, what you would put in it? I mean, is it worth that much? And I said, well, probably not, but we don't have a whole lot of options. She looked at me and she said, you go tell Mary to find her a house. And I looked at Barbara and I thought, what did you just say? She said, you go tell Mary. Go tell her to find, you, find her a house. So I called, I called Mary. I said, hey, Barbara was up here. And she said, for me to tell you to go find you a house. She said, a new one? And I said, I guess so. So Mary, you don't have to tell. You don't have to tell my wife more than once. I mean, she's out there. She, I mean, with 30, 30 minutes, she's in the car. And she's, she's driving around. Long story short, she finds a house. She comes back. She said, I found a house out in this subdivision. Da, 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 da. She said, it's, a, you know, it's in the process of being built and, and all this kind of thing. And, and she said, I, I, it would be a great house, I think. And I said, okay. She said, well, what do we do? I said, I don't know. Barbara started this. So I said, I'll just call her. I said, hey, Barbara, you, tell, you said this. I told Mary, and she went and found a house. Barbara came to the office. Long story short, I'm shortening. Barbara came to the office and she said, she said, how much for that house? And we, I told her. And she said, can you afford, I'm trying to remember, she said, can you afford this much of a payment? I said, no, ma'am, I can't. She said, well, can you afford this much of a payment? I said, no, I can't. And she said, well, can you afford this much of a payment? I said, yeah, I can do that. And she said, then I will pay the house down to this much. I will, I will put all the, I mean, I'm talking about like $100,000 plus. She said, I will pay the house payment. I will pay the mortgage down to this month, and then you'll be able to pay. And, and, and God gave Mary her house. God gave Mary her house. Because there was a cause blessing that rested on our house. 
He has been so very faithful, so very kind. He has never failed us, ever failed us because of the principle of first fruits that we've learned.